today what God's put in my heart to preach about a week and a half ago is uh, from Philippians chapter 3, if you brought your Bibles. Uh, the title this morning is, But One Thing I Do. But One Thing I Do, really having this single-hearted de devotion and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's official. We are now in year 2023, which is kind of hard for me to believe. I was mentioning to my wife, Jill, as we were driving down the mountain on Saturday last week to beat that snowstorm that snowed in Forest Lakes, and you guys know what that's about. They got a good 20 inches of snow and 260 was closed. But I said to Jill, I said, it seems like almost yesterday, a few years ago, that the world was worried about Y2K. How many remember those days? How many weren't born yet in year 2000? All <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Mary Lou, uh, you need to come to the altar. Um, but it made me feel old, and it probably should. I realize that some of you were born after the year 2000 and have no idea what Y2K was about, let alone 9-11. Uh, it's also hard for me to believe that it's been 22, over, over 22 years now that we've been pastoring here. And if you do the math, I turned 60, as you know, last fall. I was only 38 years young when I came to pastor this church. And, and so thanks for putting up with me in my youth, in my, in my, uh, in my uh, young years, whatever. I, I said all that to say, you know, here we are in another year, and the years fly by fast. I told Jill kind of jokingly this past week, it won't be long before we're dead. You know, I mean, it's just, well, you, you think about it. As, I mean, be, be a realist here. Being 60 years old, and some of you, a lot of you are older than me, um, but being 60, I've, I've kind of joked around about, about it, but uh, two-thirds of my life to three-fourths of my life is over in all reality. And I keep on joking with people, if we have too many birthdays, eventually it'll kill us. That is true. <laughs> but uh, this is what I want to preach on today. Uh, so, But one thing I do, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, first of all, 12 through 14. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. The Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, wrote these words. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, I haven't got there yet. There's, there's still room for growth. But Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the verses leading up to that, here's what Paul said in verses 7 through 11. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ or win Christ. And then he says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 
Now listen to Paul's heart's desire. Verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the re- to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's heart was to know Christ more intimately, to know Christ. I want to win Christ. I want to know Christ. And I thought, what a great eternal perspective. I have in my office, in front of my desk, a plaque or a sign that Alvin made for me a number of years ago with one word on it, and that word is eternity. Having an eternal perspective. Well, that's what, well, that's what Paul is saying here about winning, about gaining Christ, about knowing Christ, being found in him, becoming like him. But one thing I do. Now, maybe you heard about the man who moved into a retirement community to spend the rest of his life there. It wasn't long. He met a number of people there. He made a number of new friends among the the residents of this retirement community. And there was one lady he was especially attracted to, and and she was attracted to him. And so they spent a lot of time together. They finally got to know each other better. And one evening, finally, he, he asked the question, will you marry me? He asked for her hand in, in, in marital in bliss, marital bliss. Well, the next morning he woke up remembering his proposal, but he couldn't remember her answer. So he went to her and said, I'm really embarrassed, but, but I proposed to you last night, and I can't remember if you said yes or no. Oh, thank goodness, she, she said. I couldn't, I, she said, I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> now, Sometimes we feel the same way. <laughs> Sometimes we feel the same way about New Year's resolutions. We tell ourselves, well, I'm going to do this this year, I'm going to do that, and we're going to make some changes here, and I'm going to eat right, and I'm going to exercise, and, and one week's gone, and are you still doing it kind of thing, you know? We somehow forget, don't we? We have that problem. So as we look at the next 51 weeks in 2023, I have a suggestion for your 2023 New Year's resolutions that you ought to be able to remember. Let's promise ourselves with God's help that we will say with the Apostle Paul, but one thing I do. The past is gone. The past is done. 2022 is over. Glad for that. We are looking at a brand new year, a brand new chance to, to, to get, things, get things set in our, in our life, in our spiritual life or whatever. And, and Paul takes this to the nth degree and says, you know, here's my focus. All this has happened, but that's all rubbish. I want to know him. I, I want to know Christ. We, we have Paul, under divine inspiration, also writing in Philippians chapter 2, 13, saying, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so how can we keep this as a goal, as our focus this year? How can we win Christ? How can we gain Christ? How can we get to know Christ better or be found in him or become more and more like him? I'm going to share with you how we can do that today. And the first thing is this. Number one, we need to develop a positive outlook toward life. Now, a few years ago, a lady committed suicide leaving behind this note. She says, I've decided 
that unless life was worth living, I would just quit living. Now, the provisional data from the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics indicate that both the number and the rate of suicides in the United States is, has increased 4% from 2020 to 2021 after two consecutive years of decline in 2019 and 2020. In the United States, suicide was responsible for nearly 46,000 deaths in 2020, which is approximately one suicide per 11 minutes. Suicide, this article said, is the leading cause of death in the United States. Why? Because people are checking out because to them, life isn't worth living. Question for us. How do you feel about your life? Is it worthwhile? Or let's change the question. What would it take for you to feel that your life is worthwhile? What would have to happen to make you feel really positive about your life? For example, if you won the lottery, would that make you feel good? I heard last night in the news that the Mega Millions is up to $1.1 billion. Friends, let me, let me just share this with you. Uh, for those that gamble, you're not very good at math because it's against you. Those who gamble aren't very good at math. I have read story upon story upon story over the years that of those who have won the lottery and most of them die poor and destitute and they will tell you, I wish I would have never won the lottery because of what it does to them. If your marriage suddenly was all passed up, would that make you positive about your life? If your kids began to make you proud or, or you got a promotion at work, would that do it for you? I mean, what would it take for you to really feel positive about your life? Because if that's the way you're thinking, then you'll probably never really feel positive about life because all the little pieces that must come together to make you feel positive about your life will probably never be there. The reason I selected Philippians chapter 3 was, number one, God put this on my heart. But number two, as we read this passage again, I want you to keep in mind as I read this, the Apostle Paul is in prison. He is chained to a Roman guard. He is under horrible conditions. And yet, despite of all that, he, he writes these wonderful words, not that I have arrived, not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on. I want to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. He's in prison. He's chained to a guard. But one thing I do, I'm going to forget what is behind. I'm going to press. I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. Now stop for a moment and ask, what was Paul trying to grab hold of? I mean, what was he trying to say here? He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. How many of you, if I had two prayer lines this morning, and this was a prayer line right here, how many want, how many want to experience the power of God? How many want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? I can pretty much guarantee you this line would be back to the back wall back there. But on this side, if I had how many want to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering, this would be the, the shorter line. 
But I am also going to tell you that certain things about God are only learned through suffering, through trials, through tribulation, through tough times. You see, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Yes, I affirm that. But also, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him. I mean, our goal is Christ-likeness, Romans 8, 29. And so what was Paul reaching for? What was, what was his goal? Paul's goal is Christ-likeness and the resurrection from the dead. His goal was eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's what he's reaching for. That's what he's striving for and pressing ahead for each and every day. Simplified, Brian's translation is this. The apostle Paul's goal is to be more like Jesus and make it to heaven. To be more like Jesus and make it to heaven. See, here's the point. If our goal is Christ-likeness in heaven, if our goal is eternal life with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then all the things that happen, all the setbacks, all the things that are negative, if you will, all these become stepping stones getting us closer to the time we're going to spend with Jesus. Church, I'm here to tell you, there will be disappointments in life, but every day that passes by, honestly, is one day closer to the time we're going to be with Jesus. In one month and a few weeks, on February 20 of this year, I will turn 40 years old in Jesus. I was born again on February 20 of 1983. And I remember when I got saved, and I walked down the aisle and mom's here this morning, and mom and dad were here, were there. And my, my sister, stepsister Jill was there, my wife. Figure that one out later. <laughs> but I got saved, I went forward, and I gave my life to Christ. My life's never been the same. And I know that a lot of new Christians will turn to the book of John, you know, they'll read the gospel of John, they'll, they'll start maybe in, in the gospels or whatever. I went to Revelation. I want to know how this whole thing's going to end, you know? <laughs> And, and, and that was, I'm 39 today. I, that was almost 40 years ago. Here's what I know today. I am 40 years closer to the return of Jesus Christ than when I first believed. Some of you have been saved longer than I have been. And you have served God. You've been faithful to God. And you today are closer than when you first believed. See, yes, there's been disappointments, yes, there's been setbacks, there's been loss, there's been heartaches, but bottom line is, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You see, church, I, I say this often, I know I say this often, but I, I, I got to keep on saying it. This is all temporary. We must live for that which is eternal. This was Paul's cry. This was but one thing I do. This was his single-hearted devotion, his mindset. I'm going to forget the things that have happened. I'm going, to, I'm going to put that in the past, but I'm pressing on because I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him. That was his goal. That was his heart's desire. You see, the only thing that makes sense to me now being almost 40 years old in Christ, is, is there's nothing else. 
This is all I know. This is, this is what I know. Because life, as I said last Wednesday night, life doesn't make sense without Jesus Christ. You see, if our goal is to be more like Jesus and make it to heaven, then Romans 8.28 is true. All things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You see, the world says the way you feel good about yourself is to climb that old ladder of success. Make lots of money, have influential friends, receive lots of awards and and be recognized by others. And it's about power and prestige and position and notoriety. You got to belong to the right circle of people. You, You can all you get and you get all you can. And these are the things the world says that will make you feel good about yourself. But the Bible teaches us that we are to feel good about ourselves. Why? Because God loves us. Amen? You are a treasured possession in God's sight. Matter of fact, Zephaniah 3.17 says, He will rejoice over you with singing. The Apostle Peter is overwhelmed with the great privilege of being a Christian. And he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Check this out. We alone of all creatures in the universe can experience the wonders of God's saving grace. And the other thing I say often is, God's grace still amazes me, does it amaze you? I'm still overwhelmed that God would save a sinner such as I. I I like to say, David, I said, if God can save me, he can save anybody. That's true. He knows my past. See, the, 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 the grace of God that, that, that truly is there, the salvation that God offers us, truly fascinates the angels and causes them to study and ponder the mysteries of salvation they don't share. See, Peter's message, plain and simple, is this. God loves you so much, the angels are amazed. The prophets predict what the prophets predicted but could not understand and what the angels wonder at but never experienced. We can understand and experience every single day. Wow, what a God we serve. What a salvation God has given us. See, we are thus, therefore, more blessed and more privileged than the prophets and the angels. That makes you valuable. And you can feel good about yourself because of what he says about you. In other words, say to yourself once in a while, you know, I'm a child of the king. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. No wonder the writer of Hebrews would tell us we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? 
This salvation which was first announced to the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? Don't neglect your salvation. It's a wonderful gift of God. I like what Frank Peretti said. He says, it's no wonder that our young people today have, have poor self-images when they go to school and read books that tell them that they are the products of blind chance, that they are just accidents of nature, unplanned, unloved, and unwanted. See, that's the world talking there. The Bible tells us that we are loved, that we are cared for by God himself, that we are wanted, amen? This illustration, uh, Jim Vavano was head coach of the North Carolina basketball team. And he rose to fame when his team started winning championships. And most people liked him. He was, he was always cracking jokes, and he had a winning way of dealing with people. But in 1991, Vavano learned that he had inoperable bone cancer. During Christmas time, 1992, he said this, and I quote, It's difficult to be thankful this Christmas because I'm not sure I'll be here next Christmas. And he wasn't. He died in 1993. Before he died, though, he said this. But, he said, this Christmas, I'm getting down on my knees and thanking God for every day of the 46 years of my life. Wow. Great perspective. Great eternal perspective. See, he was positive about life because he realized that life is a very precious gift given to us by God. Matter of fact, the very breath that you breathe today is a gift of God. I think it must sadden God at times that we take the gift that he has given and don't treasure it for the precious thing that it is. See, of all the gifts that God has given to us, time is one of the most precious. Each day God gives us 86,400 seconds. And every night, whatever this time we have failed to invest in, you know, to good purposes, it must be written off as lost. There's no going back. There's no drawing against the tomorrow. What's spent is spent. Having said that, let me remind all of us this year that this year has incredible potential that lies before us. It's truly, it's truly unlimited what, what, what God has for us. But a great deal of this potential rests upon how we use and how we invest our time. Paul talked about winning Christ, about gaining Christ, about knowing Christ, about being found in him becoming like him. You know, he says, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. But one thing I do, this single-hearted devotion. See, here's the danger for all of us, myself included. The danger becomes this, that ministry can become a job rather than a passion for the person of Jesus Christ. I never want the calling of God on my life to become a job. It's a passion for the person of Jesus Christ. Robert Murray McShane, he was uh, like 1600s Puritan, said this, no amount of activity in the king's service will make up for neglect of the king himself. Wow. In other words, activity for him won't make up for a relationship with him. So here's my exhortation for us in 2023. Develop a positive outlook toward life by making it your goal this year 
to pursue Christ more than ever before. To pursue Christ. Go after God this year. Draw close to Him, and He'll draw close to you. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I'm pressing on toward what God has for me. This, this is a challenging quote from J. Oswald Sanders in his book on spiritual leadership. He said this, We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. Then he goes on, True, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay, to pay the price involved. To pay the price involved. Friends, pay the price. Go after God. Be hungry. Be thirsty for more of the Lord. I like to say it this way. Until my shadow has healed the sick, there's more. There's more. Number one. Number two. Demonstrate a positive attitude toward the church. Now, I don't say this in a self-serving way at all because one thing that is right about the church is our desire to simply lift up Jesus Christ, to reach out to the lost in a lost and dying world, to, to bring the message of salvation, and yet at times I'll hear people criticizing the church. Here's a key in demonstrating a positive attitude toward the church and life in general. The key is this, forget about you. Forget about you. Forget about you always wanting your way. Forgetting about you wanting your will to be done. I want this. I want that. You know, me, me, my, my. You know, I, I. Remember, life is not about you. People will come to church, and I've heard this over the years, and a few have said, well, I went to attend that church, and I, I didn't get anything out of worship. Uh, newsflash you weren't supposed to because worship is not about you. It's about him. It's about God. It's about lifting up and magnifying the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's about worshiping him in the beauty of his holiness and the splendor of his majesty. It's about Jesus. And so worship is not about you. And then too many people today also have what I call this, this victim mentality. I want to say, listen, the only, the only victim was Jesus who was the lamb that was slain for you from the foundation of the world. I, I really believe the number one reason people don't have a positive attitude toward the church is because of this thing called offense. And people being offended will increase in the last days. But people being offended over trivial stuff, stuff that doesn't matter, even stuff that's none of their business. Here's what I've learned. Ultimately, the only person that can hurt you is you. Humility cannot be offended. You can only offend somebody's pride. Now, most of our troubles come by, by, by allowing ourselves, though, to get offended. If we're going to be free from offense, we must forget about ourselves. Another thing that keeps people from having a positive attitude toward the church is that people get mad at God. I've known people over the years, once again, that were mad at God, mad at the church, mad at the pastor, mad at everyone. Most of the time, the reason people get mad at God is because God hasn't come through for them the way they think God should have come through for them. Listen, don't get mad at God. He is the one person you don't want to be mad at. I've learned a long time ago, don't bite the hand that feeds you. 
if there's anyone that can help me, it's God, you know. And if you think God has failed you, you have missed it. God has never failed you, and he's not going to start now. If there's anyone that can help you, it's God. And so it's important to guard your heart with all diligence. God is always good. He always has been good. God is love. He is for you, not against you. The cross is a plus sign, not a minus sign. Amen. God's love for you and me was settled 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on that cross and he said it is finished. Here's how we can maintain a positive attitude toward the church. Very simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus not people. 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him, at Christ, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If you're going to live happily on planet Earth, you're going to have to have thick skin and a tender heart. I heard a, a fellow pastor say at a pastor's meeting years ago, we need to be pastors who have a hide of a rhino and a heart of velvet. What is he saying? Thick skin, tender heart. All right. Resolve to be that person that demonstrates a positive attitude toward their church. The Bible says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Not your needs, their needs. And so when you're saying something, when you're repeating something, when, you're, when you want to gossip about something, does this build them up or does this tear them down? All right? Also, it says in Hebrews 13, 7, uh, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I must give an account before God for every one of you. Every sermon I ever preached, every word I ever spoken. Obey them that their work may be a joy, not a burden. That would be, for that would be of no advantage to you. A last thing in demonstrating a positive attitude toward, toward your church is this. Don't find problems with your church. When you're constantly finding pro, fault or problems with your church, you're finding fault with Jesus himself. You say, Pastor Brian, where's that in the Bible? Well, Acts 9, 3-5, as he saw near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, reading that, let me ask a couple questions. Had Paul persecuted Jesus in the flesh? No. Who was Paul, Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the church. Here's my point. Jesus so identified with the church that he asked Saul, why are you persecuting me? Hartman's paraphrase of Jesus speaking here, when you're messing with the church, you're messing with me. See, anybody that habitually complains against the church is complaining against the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus and the church are one. It's like Jill and I, we've been married this May, 39 years together. We are married, and when someone speaks against her, they're speaking against me. Guess what? I'll let you mess with me, but if you come against my wife, I'm coming after you. <laughs> Jesus and the church are married. And when you're talking bad about the church, you're talking bad about Jesus. Please realize it's not nice to talk about Jesus that way. 
Now, we all realize the church is not perfect. Matter of fact, every church has problems. And if you find a church, may I suggest that you don't dare join it because you will ruin it. Every church has problems. I love this illustration. We sang a Charles Wesley hymn, 1730, he wrote it, and Can It Be, one of my favorite hymns that was sung this morning. But his brother John Wesley was a great English preacher in the 1700s. John Wesley was considered a rather spiffy dresser. One Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie that had long ribbons that hung downward. After the sermon, a lady walked up to him and said, Brother Wesley, are you open to some criticism? He says, I guess so. What would you like to criticize? She said, well, the ribbons on your tie are entirely too long and inappropriate for a man of God. And she took out her scissors and cut those long ribbons off. And a hush, like you, a hush fell over the people standing there as John Wesley calmly asked, now may I borrow the scissors for a moment? And she handed her pair of scissors to him, and he says, ma'am, are you open to some criticism? She says, well, I suppose I am. He says, all right then, please stick out your tongue. (laughs) You got the point. Friends, let's develop a positive attitude towards the church and the people of God. Finally is this, third point. Display positive actions toward others. I think it would amaze us how many people we could influence for Christ if we would just treat people nicely. Try a little kindness this year. Hint, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is a hard world, yes, a world that doesn't always exercise courtesy. As Norm from Cheers used to say, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. <laughs> See, people are always jockeying, jockeying for positions on freeways. If you drove our freeways, you know that's true. In their companies, they're, they're filled with all kinds of stress and anxiety. But honestly, the church must be, must be a place where we can all come and be loved and be encouraged and be built up a place where there are people to help carry our burdens and a place where we can carry others' burdens. Richard and Rebecca, we're with this with you. One of the things that, that I appreciate about this church and I applaud you for this morning, and I often hear this when I'm teaching membership class, I ask these questions. Why did you first come to BCF, Baseline Christian Fellowship? And why did you come back a second time? And I'll hear this almost every time I teach this class. Everyone was so warm and friendly in your church. We really felt at home there. And so church, I applaud you for that. And I thank you for that. You see, if we will treat each other with love, then I believe God has some great things in store for us. Matter of fact, Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so in 2023, let's make sure that we display positive actions toward others. When Terry Bradshaw was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame, he mentioned other players who had played with him and said, this honor would mean nothing to me at all if I didn't have people like that who loved me. 
who love me. We are told in Ephesians chapter 5, we are to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. Think about that. Just as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? By paying the ultimate sacrifice. He was willing to lay down his life for others. There was this willingness on his part to say, hey, it's not about me. It's about God's will and, 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 and the world. And the fact that Christ gave himself up for us tells us that God expects us to be willing to serve others, even at times when it means great cost to us. It means great sacrifice and inconvenience to us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The word kind simply means to do what is suitable to meet a specific need in the life of others. The word compassionate suggests a deep-seated emotional concern. It describes a willingness not only to come alongside someone, but, to, but of actually entering into their situation and entering their pain with them. Since you guys shared, Richard, let me pick on you here, but since you guys shared William's diagnosis, my heart's been breaking. And I'm torn in my spirit, believing God and praying for you guys, but also understanding what you and Rebecca are going through. It's hard, I know. But you have a family, as I told you, that loves you guys. Your family here that loves you. Abraham Lincoln once said, I'm sorry for the man who can't feel the whip when it's laid on another's, another, another man's back. He's right, isn't he? See, when others hurt, I hurt. When others hurt, you should hurt. We, we must, we must, we must ask God this year to be an instrument of his love. Let me wrap this up this morning. First of all, I'm going to be positive as I look, as I look at my life. In other words, I'm going to commit toward the person of Christ Secondly, I'm going to be positive as I look at my church. I'm going to commit to the people of Christ. And thirdly, I'm going to be positive as I look at others. I'm going to commit to the purpose of Christ. You see, if we will commit to the person, the people, and the purpose of Christ, I believe that this will be the best year ever for this church. Because as you live each day, you will get closer and closer as what Paul says was his goal, the heavenward prize to be with Jesus. One final illustration, and you know the story, but in Luke chapter 10, we have the story of Jesus going to the home of Mary and Martha. And you, know, you recall the story, Martha's busy, she's busy preparing, making all the preparations. And here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Many things, plural. But Jesus said this, but one thing, but one thing is needed. Singular. Martha, many things, Mary, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it, will not, it won't be taken from her. Mary, I believe, had this single-hearted devotion to Jesus. But one thing I do. But one thing I do. Church, let's make 20
23 the best year ever. We do so by committing to the person of Christ. We do so by committing to the people of Christ. And we do so by committing to the purpose of Christ. Let's all stand and close in prayer. I hope your heart has been challenged today. I hope you'll leave this place saying, you know, this year I want to be committed to the person of Jesus Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I'm pressing. I'm pressing for what is ahead. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him. And Lord, I pray today as we conclude this service, God, I pray that you would speak to hearts today. I pray, God, that your word would not return to your void, but it's going to accomplish your kingdom purposes in our lives and through our lives. I pray, God, this year, as we commit to the person of Christ, the people of Christ, and the purpose, purpose of Christ, that, God, this will truly be our best year ever. With that being said, God, help us to have a single-hearted devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. But one thing I do, God set eternity in our hearts, in our spirits. Today, Father, for those that do not know you, for those that have not made a commitment to you, I pray, God, that today would be their day of salvation. And so right where you're at with heads not bowed, eyes not closed, if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you opportunity on the first Sunday I'm preaching this year to become a Christian, to repent of your sin, to get right with God. How many this morning say, Pastor Brian, I'm away from God, but I, but, I, but I sense the Holy Spirit beating at my heart and tugging at my heart today and just drawing me to the Father. See, the Bible says it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. And so if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I want to give you opportunity. I want to pray with you, pray for you, but I want to give you opportunity to, be, to get right with God. If you're backslidden this morning, you're not serving Christ, then today is the day to get right with God, to forget those things that are behind, to press on to what God has for you, that heaven we're calling. If that describes where you're at today, just put your hand up high and say, Pastor Brian, pray for me. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. I need to repent of my sin today and get right with God. Holding steady for a moment. I never want anyone to point a finger at me and say, hey, you never gave me a chance. You never gave me an opportunity. Just holding steady for a moment. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today you want to make things right with God, put your hand up high and say, today I'm making that commitment to Christ. Father, as we go our way today, I pray, God, your blessing now upon our lives. Help us, God, not just to be blessed by you, but to be a blessing to others each and every day. And that we would make for our goal this year to pursue the person of Christ, the people of Christ, and the purpose of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. God loves you more. Have a great week in the Lord. Just a reminder, there is a nominating committee meeting shortly afterwards for those and a couple of you that I invited for that. And then this Wednesday, I'll be doing part two of Revelation chapter three, the church in Laodicea. If you missed part one, it's online. You can listen to it. God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Amen.